0: Hello and welcome to To The Point with Portland, a podcast for communications professionals that gets to the heart of the biggest questions in communications policy and reputation. My name is Gabriel Milland. I'm a partner at Portland, and today I'm joined by Frank Luntz, one of the biggest names in the research business and the guy who has made the reputation of presidents, prime ministers, and remade our language. It was him who came up with the idea of calling global warming climate change, for example. He's an expert in the use of words, an expert in the use of research to tell the truth as much as anything else. So in this episode, we'll be discussing language, we'll be discussing politics, who he rates as up and coming new communicators on both sides of the Atlantic, the purpose of research and what business might be able to learn from politics. This is To The Point. Frank, thanks so much for joining us, really appreciate it. I've been an admirer of your work for an awfully long time. I mean, you're pretty well known in this country as well as in the United States. How did you get your break in politics? How did you move into doing research? What brought you into this world? Well, actually my break was because of
1: the UK and that's why I've got a love affair with it going on now for the last 35, almost 40 years. I'm a student of Trinity College, Oxford. I got my DPhil there. And right next door, about 500 feet away, was a gentleman who you know very well, Boris Johnson. And my very first survey I ever conducted on this planet was for Boris when he was running for prime minister. He paid me a thousand quid. And yes, the check did clear. (laughs) No, I did not have to send bruises around to beat it out of him. And the survey was in 0.2 percent precise. Right. It had him at 38% of the first vote, and he ended up with, I think, 38.2. And it was helpful in his targeting voters and who he needed to reach out to and who he needed second preferences from. And this is the Oxford Union? This or- is the Oxford Union, and it was, and I hid the survey within a wider survey asking the sexual habits and behaviors of Oxford students. And I can see, even though our listeners cannot, your eyebrows go up, Uh, It went up for my parents as well and my mother sent a note to me saying apologize to the Oxford community. It's none of your business. How dare you ask questions like this. And the thing is, I had to hide the real purpose of the survey. So no one would have expected that it was actually done to figure out a union election because they were answering questions about how many partners they had uh, the strangest places they ever did it. It was a, a very amusing survey. And I guess that would have been appropriate for British politics as well, but I had no idea of that at the time.
0: Well, I mean, one of the difficulties that people have in research sometimes do have is getting people to fill in surveys and getting people to take part in focus groups. And an opportunity to talk about your sex life at some length may be the, uh, the incentive that some people want. I mean... Did you just basically kind of look up, went to a library and looked up how to do an opinion poll, read about Gallup, read about some of the pioneers of the industry? and
1: It was right. my thesis. I had to study it. By the way, I've never had trouble getting people to acknowledge what they really think or really believe. In fact, it's been relatively easy for me because I'm willing to ridicule myself in the research process. So when I do a focus group, the British are notoriously difficult. They want to give you a hard time. And I've tried every different approach. I tried being pushy, I tried begging and nothing worked until I realized that the best way to do it was to invite my focus group participants to answer a simple question, what is it about America and Americans you dislike the most? They usually mention an American politician, George W. Bush or or Ronald Reagan, more recently, Donald Trump. They would always criticize a Republican uh the second thing was the crime and the third thing was obesity and I used to weigh a lot I used to weigh about 50 pounds more than I do now and so they would blurt out Americans are fat and then they would look at me and they would realize they insulted me and from that moment on they would answer my questions they felt so horrible and I would have people coming up to me after the session apologizing and I said no I knew that if you took a shot at me, I knew that if you embarrassed me or attacked me as your moderator, you would be much more cooperative. And this is my first and foremost lesson people listening to this podcast. Know your audience, know what you want from them and know how to get it from them. And if you compromise on anything, if you walk in the room unprepared, if you Don't have an objective in what you're trying to learn. Obviously, you don't want to learn one side or the other of an issue or a product or or a policy. But know what you're trying to figure out and really be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And that's how you'll get an accurate reading of what the voters really think.
0: And you do have that mindset, not just, I mean, you are... You're a mixed method guy, as we say, you know, you, you do polling and you run focus groups, but you're probably best known as a focus grouper in many ways. Is that the attitude that you take into writing a questionnaire as well for a poll, for a traditional poll?
1: I am going to give you an example. And I'm working on it as we speak. Here's the beginning of my questionnaire. Thank you for agreeing to take part in this survey, traditional. This is your chance to speak your mind and tell the leadership of a certain state and the country... What you really think and i put really in italics so people will punch it as they read it to themselves about the most pressing issues and important challenges people often complain and this is a sense that's unique to what we do people often complain they're not heard that's the purpose of the survey your voice and your priorities matter no one else does that and i think that that's a failure of research if we want people to participate We have to give them a reason. We have to give them the ability to know that their voice and their opinions matter. So we do this throughout the survey, and that gets us a much higher completion rate than the typical pollster, which is why we didn't have a problem in 2020 in identifying Donald Trump's real vote. You know, there were some surveys that had Trump losing by as much as 13%. In the end, he lost by five. The reason why they were so short is that they didn't know how to get Trump voters to participate. And that's rule number two. If you don't represent your electorate, if you don't represent your target population, it will be impossible to get it right. We do whatever it takes, even in our quantitative, to ensure that everyone participates.
0: That's fascinating. It's fascinating. I mean, that's another example of your interest in language and the power of language. But in some ways, one of the reasons that you're very well known, very influential, and you've shaped how I do a lot of my work. And- I mean,
1: the truth is, I don't know shit. I don't know anything. And, I, and I'm not being falsely humble. I really don't. And I use the research process to learn. No. I start at the beginning. I listen to every word, every phrase. I do body language. I'm paying attention to everything. It means my brain can't shut off. I sleep an hour and a half, two hours a night. It's a reason why I got sick a couple of years ago. Um, I, I can watch a TV show for the commercials. I can walk through, I'm in Times Square right now. I can walk through Times Square and be fascinated by everything that I see. I watch for every little detail. I listen for every sound and it allows me to be reasonably good at what i do because i'm actually dedicated to learning to understanding and i'll tell you there's so many people out there who want to make a statement they simply want to be heard i want to make a difference and i need to listen before anyone will listen to me if i want to be heard i have to listen to them and by practicing that it gives me a more effective and a more accurate approach to research. That's all it is. It's not, yeah. I'm, I'm not blessed with a great vocabulary. In fact, my vocabulary is very average, but it should be. Because if I'm trying to talk to average Brits, average Yanks, average Americans, average anybody, then if I talk over them or through them or around them rather than to them, I will fail.
0: The best researchers I know are the best listeners and the best noticers. the best at using their eyes. And and who are fascinated by people and just want to hear and who value the opinions of, for one or a better term, ordinary people. One of the things that we do here is we try and take some of those insights that people like you have from the world of politics for, to a degree, and apply them to other communications challenges. And by
1: the way, look at that word you just used. Use the word insights. My favorite word. I don't care if someone's the director of communication. That means you're putting information out. If you're the director of insights, it means you're collecting information, you're bringing it in and then repackaging for your client. I think that someone who focuses on insights, it's not information because that's too generic. It is about facts, but a fact in itself is meaningless. It's how does that fact matter? How does that influence what you think? And even that word influence is dangerous because there's good influences and bad influences. Insight is always positive, and it says that you have a higher level of knowledge. By the way, the other aspect of insight is the information. Wisdom is the use of it. Knowledge means that you're smart. Wisdom means that you're wise. If someone is knowledgeable, I know they know the details. But if somebody is wise, I know that they can prioritize them and apply them to a situation. So I would be pushing not just insights, but wisdom in everything that you do.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that a bit of experience in this world has taught me is that communicators shouldn't just be addressing the world on behalf of their principal, on behalf of their organization, on behalf of their client, but they should be Relaying the world back to their principal, their organization, their client, applying their insights.
1: But in terms of, by the way, I'm going to stop you there because you, in your questions, you're giving me two or three different thoughts per question. I want to go point by point sure. because I take this seriously. You use the word relaying. I don't want to be in the process. I have no. I just did a focus group of students in Dubai, asking them questions about what's going on in Ukraine. I specifically stayed out of camera. And I was not might because my own opinion or my interaction with them doesn't matter at all. The danger with being a conduit is that it's going through you. You get it from the people and then you give it to your clients. You give it to the population. I even want to remove that step. I want it to be a direct A to B. And that's why I I never used to do this, but I now stay off camera. I now cut out the questioning process because I don't matter. And once again, this is not a sense of humility. I know that the questions and how they're designed absolutely do matter. But if I want to share information in its purest form, it has to go from A to B without somebody or something in the middle.
0: Yeah. you wrote know, a book called Words That Work. And, you know, coming up with the term climate change to replace global warming is kind of important. Do you think organizations need to get better at using words? I don't think they care.
1: I don't think they care. I think organizations think of themselves and they speak from their own perspective rather than the audience's perspective or the listener's perspective or the client's perspective. I just did it to you right now, which is I knew what your question was. I know that you're going to give me a little bit of a, of a descriptor to it, which I don't need, um, but I'm being rude. I'm only being rude because I'm going to get as much information as I possibly can into this podcast and I'm trying to be as productive as I can be. And that requires me, in some cases, to cut people off, which I should not do. I've been told to stop doing it. Uh, If I was running for office, what I just did would guarantee my loss, guarantee my failure. I think you've had two British politicians in the last 20 years who are particularly amazing communicators because they welcomed interaction. They welcomed the perspectives of other people. And that was Tony Blair and David Cameron. And obviously, they had different political points of view, but watch them. They never cut people off. And then you had Corbyn, who absolutely did cut people off, and Gordon Brown, who did cut people off, and their messaging was not nearly as effective. So that's point number one. Point number two is that language and communication change over time. And it has never been more important than it is now because people have never been listening. And it's not just because of the economy and our anxiousness. it is also what we've been through with COVID. We now pay attention to a cough. Look around you. If somebody is coughing, watch how people move away from them. They never would have done so before. We watch everything that people do and we listen to everything that people say. So we have to be more precise. And it's interesting to me that corporate leadership sometimes doesn't prioritize it. They prioritize the effort of communicating rather than the impact of communicating.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: That they prioritize the number of press releases they send out. They prioritize the number of town halls they conduct with their employees rather than measuring the impact and it's a simple phrase: it's meaningful and measurable, meaningful, so you have to deal with things that are significant that matter to people. You can hold yourself accountable, but if it's not appropriate or if it's not significant, it doesn't matter. and it needs to be measurable so that there is a way to quantify it, which is very difficult in our profession, both of us. I'm often asked, can I prove the impact of something that I do? And my answer is, moving global warming to climate change, we know what the impact was in billions and billions of dollars. Can I quantify it? No. Have my positions changed on that issue? Absolutely. Going from, from uh, carbonation to sparkling in soft drinks had an impact. Going from gambling to gaming had a huge impact in Las Vegas. Gambling's got a negative connotation. Gaming is about having fun. These are things that I've done that I can't give you the numbers behind it. And by the way, you can just you can see who's calling me. The next leader of the of the Congress of the United States is actually reaching out to me, and I'm not re- responding to him.
0: Take take the call. He's a major guy. No, not,
1: I did this once before. I was I had the chief of staff to the White House calling me as i'm doing a video for uh a pbs public broadcasting and unfortunately i asked them to take that out while i was responding to it because i knew i had to uh and they didn't so i've now learned my lesson in language in messaging in communication you get it wrong you cannot be 100 percent perfect but if you get it wrong a second time i think it's george bush who said fool me once shame on you, fool me twice. And now he got it wrong. He couldn't figure out what the next response was, but it's shame on me. So that call will wait another uh, 15 minutes. It is important for everyone listening to this. Our success, your success in your company and my success in mine is not just an issue of accuracy. That's only half of it. The other half is implementation. Does it have, and I quote, a meaningful, measurable impact and the people we wish to, to reach. And that's a very tough thing to do.
0: It is. Are there any communicators around at the moment who you, you really admire, who you think, I mean, perhaps they're organizations, perhaps they're individuals. Is there anyone who's up and coming who you think has the right language for the times?
1: The danger in my answering that question is that there are a number of young, youngish conservatives and youngish laborites are really good, but if I mention one or two, all the other ones will get angry at me. In the States, probably the best Republican communicator is Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina and the best Democratic communicator, even though he ran a horrific campaign, is Cory Booker, the Democratic senator from New Jersey. But the danger, because this does work and I'll give you a, I've been trying to do corporate analogies, but I'll give you a political one, is the danger of woke on the left and the danger of populism on the right they both have really appealing messages for woke it's why you're not successful it's why you're not number one woke allows you to blame other people for your own failures and it allows you to shift responsibility to blame society and i think it's the most destructive movement right now and the second most destructive is populism which is on the right Which are people telling you that you don't have the job you want, you don't get the income you have because government or business or society has been holding you down. It's the same principle as woke, it's just using conservative language. And both of these are destroying American democracy and they're coming to Britain. That's the work that we did last year, last summer. And we found that the potential for these two movements to strike a chord in the British population are very frightening and one more point since i know that this will be heard by a number of people in the business community the british public does not want you to take stands on politics they do not want you to do what disney just did which is take a stand on a social issue in florida which led to all sorts of protests within the company and even a walkout in the uk you're expected to treat your people well, pay them well, protect them, compete and win in the marketplace and shut the hell up when it comes to divisive politics.
0: I think that's absolutely right. The two things when I talk to people about business in this country and what they think of particular businesses or sectors is how do they treat customers, people like me and how do they treat the people that work for them? And those are the two things that really matter.
1: Well, unfortunately, actually, an even greater divide is social media usage. If you're on social media several times a day, you're probably, and particularly if you're on Twitter, but that's a smaller group, but even Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, the more engaged you are with social media, the more negative you are, the more likely you are to criticize, the more likely you are to post something that hurts somebody else. And I think it's tragic. And I don't know how to solve it. I'm at the tail end of my career, and I know that I have to find a solution to this before I finally give it up, but I don't have one right now, because social media only encourages the most negative behaviors, and we got to do something about it.
0: Okay. Frank, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: Can I give... i got one concluding thought for you all, and it's actually a concluding word, and that word is imagine. It's the most powerful word in the English language. When you ask people to imagine life at perfection, fifty people will have fifty distinctly different answers, but all fifty of them will be correct. When you ask people to imagine something, they paint a picture in their head. Every picture is different, but every picture is impactful. When you ask people to imagine, it's not just verbal communication; it's also visual, which is so important in making a difference in how people think of things. So, for those of you who either are in our profession for those of you who use our profession this one's free figure out a way to embrace and articulate the concept of imagine and you'll be connecting with people as efficiently and effectively as you can and most importantly it will be memorable
0: frank thank you appreciate it have a great day
1: you got it i'll see you
0: If you'd like to know more about what we discussed today, do get in touch with us via our website, portland-communications.com or speak to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, most platforms. I'd love to discuss all this and more with our listeners.